The InvinoFab podcast brings meaningful conversations to our community of listeners. Part of this is sharing stories with and by our friends like Telesom, who want to bring meaningful experiences to you. At Telesom, we're on a mission to create meaningful work for sommeliers, meaningful connections for wine lovers, and to change the face of wine. For this season of InvinoFab, we're honored to raise a glass with sommeliers who want to share their wine secrets and knowledge with you. For this season of InvinoFab, we're collaborating with Telesom to fill your cup and your ear with sommelier stories, uncorking the wine tales. Welcome to the Somalia Stories. On this episode, we're excited to have Brielle Buckler. Brielle is a self-proclaimed total wine nerd with a serious travel bug. She loves finding unique wines from small producers and sharing her passion for wine with others. Brielle founded Viva La Vino to make learning about wine approachable and fun with the foundational precept that wine is only good if you like it. Now she consults with partners on their wine menus, sales, and programming. Brielle prides herself in bringing a light, interactive approach to wine tasting and education. Let's jump into it and learn about her sommelier story. How did you get into this wine work? Yeah, that's a great question. I kind of fell face first into wine, which is good. When you do that, you can drink it as you fall. So so growing up, wine was always around. My mom is Greek. My dad is a little bit of everything. And together, they are both super, super outgoing, super welcoming. So my house earned a nickname of Grand Central Station when I was a kid. There were always people coming in through every door. There was somebody staying on the couch. There was somebody swimming in the pool in the backyard. Everybody had a key. And so there was always wine. There's always food to accompany all of our visitors. And so it became a super prominent way to celebrate things, to welcome people. It was always around. And so I I knew I liked wine. I would try it even from a young age. And I think even though I was no kind of expert right away, I did get to understand a little bit about what my parents liked. Um, And then in college and beyond, I started trying more and more wines, Um, not again, not knowing what they were, but being able at least to conceptualize, I like white or I like red or I like maybe these whites in particular. And it wasn't until I moved to New York. So finished college, finished grad school, moved to New York for a job. And I not related to wine, uh, just totally. So I work in sports full time. And um, so I moved to New York to work in sports and I found a wine shop that was doing wine classes and it's actually funny. So my partner's birthday is in January. We'd been together for a couple of months. I didn't know what to get him as a gift. And there was this wine passport where you could go to this wine shop. You bought the passport. You could go to as many wine classes as you wanted in a month. And so I sent him the whole list and figured he'd pick one or two. And he just wrote back, I I remember emailing it to him and figuring he'd just, you know, copy and paste the ones he wanted to go to. And he just goes, let's go to all of them. And so it was actually really formative for our relationship. We went on, you know, 19, 20 dates in a month, especially in the first couple of months. That's pretty, it's pretty big. And we had so much fun. The the shop that we went to um, at the time hosted classes very, very frequently. Uh, It was called Chelsea Wine Vault. They're still around. Um, they operate a little differently now, but they used to have a big classroom in their main floor. And uh, one of the one of the wine teachers or one of the you know the psalms on staff, John Farrow, is still one of my friends. I love him a lot. He really got me into the fold and said, "You must have formal wine training." And I, I didn't think that was a thing. And he said, "You know, how, how do you think I got to do this?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, okay. There, yeah, there has to be something more." So I started going up the WSET class scale and 
I don't know, I guess like fast forward seven years, here I am. And um, it's been a really fun, wild ride. I've enjoyed every moment of it. I love that you had a wine sprint in love for wine and your partner. That's great. To break it down for our listeners, uh, give us the acronym WSCT. Oh, Wine and Spirit Education Trust. Uh, So there's four levels and one is really beginner. So anybody can do it. If you have an interest in wine, it's fun. Two gets a little harder. Three gets significantly harder. And then four is broken into six different sections. When you finish it, you have what's considered a diploma. So uh, that I'm hoping will be how I end up. Uh, It takes a while. So a couple of years, I'm hoping that I'll have my diploma too. Hanging on the wall, maybe next to my degrees. (laughs) I love it. And as you said, this isn't your full-time job. And most people have an assumption that a sommelier is the job and it's not always the case. So what do you do in the world of work beyond your wine life? Yeah. So I, I always knew I wanted to work in professional sports. I think the the industry is so interesting sports and entertainment it doesn't matter um when you go to a game for example you don't even get a ticket stub anymore it's all electronic now but back in the day i remember you would, you'd go in you'd walk out you'd have your ticket stub and your memories um but otherwise you know you can't be guaranteed when you go to a sporting event which is you know the mecca of being a sports fan you want to go see your favorite players play your favorite team win But on any given night, you can't be guaranteed that your team will win, your favorite player will play, there won't be a really tall person in front of you blocking your view, or that they'll have your favorite beer on tap or your favorite food available. Uh, But people still go, people still spend their money, they still go, even if their team is losing, 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 they still go. And it's all, I think there's a lot of hope in that. And there's a lot of camaraderie and community. I just always thought that was so cool. But so I went to, I went to both undergrad and grad school for sports and entertainment. So I knew I wanted to go into it. And right now I work in operations. So very much on the flexing of my type A color-coded driving forward some of the work that we do internally. And now I work, I used to work for a league. So I worked for the National Basketball Association. And now I work for Bleacher Report, which is a company within Turner Sports and Warner Media. And I work in operations. So I have a lot of fun helping us kind of fulfill our strategy get some big projects off the ground and across the finish line. I think that your two industries of wine and sports have some complementary things. So as you pair those two worlds together, what are you learning from one that you bring to the other or vice versa? I think in sports media, I learn a lot about how to communicate with people, how to operate on a tight deadline, what people expect, how you can make people feel good. That's a lot of my job is really forming relationships at work. Um, in my full-time role. And so I'm able to translate that into wine and how I run my small business by observing the, you know, the big business I work for and how it does things well. But I also had this really, really cool opportunity this year. Bleacher Report was um, coordinating and producing a show called Full Bodied. And our host, Channing Fry, who's a NBA star, now retired, is our host. And he interviews his friends who are current or former professional athletes. And as the wines get deeper, so do the questions. So I was really fortunate. I got to pick all the wines for the show. I have a wine expert writer credit in the credits, which is like beyond my wildest dreams. And I get to hang out with people who are much cooler than me. Uh, I don't really work in production very often at all. I don't work in production. And so it was so, so cool to be on set, to kind of see the show come together our, um, our first episode dropped at, you know, at this time of recording, our first episode dropped 
but um, there's more to come. We've had a lot of really cool guests and athletes on the show, and it's been cool to see those two worlds come together because there are a lot of athletes or former athletes who either have their own wine label, who are really, really interested and invested in wine, or who are kind of just dipping their feet in the water and will soon cannonball. And there's, um, it's a really cool community of athletes in wine too. That's really fascinating. So I think there's such a neat tie between, um, and we're going to talk about it a, a little bit. It sounds like the business of wine and mm-hmm. what it means to be a Psalm now. And I love that you've got connected with the Telesom app and you're part of the series for that reason. Um, I was wondering kind of, what are you learning about the world of wine that you're now a sommelier in? Yeah, I think I love drinking wine. I love trying wine. I love learning about wine running a small business that revolves around wine tastings and, you know, consulting with other businesses to help provide services is very, it's very businessy, right? So I think initially I thought I was going to be teaching virtual tastings and trying new wines on the regular. And, you know, while that has mostly been true, actually, um, I've also learned a lot about like accounting and negotiating and pitching myself and my brand and, brand management and like all of these elements that I feel like were the title of a college course I took long ago and thought, yeah, maybe I'll use this. And now here I am, you know, digging back into my notes from college being like, what are the things I need to have in order to make this effective and efficient? So it's been, it's been really interesting to kind of jump in because I was led by the wine and now be flexing these business owner muscles as I go. And and it's become, I think, as it's grown, as I've been able to build more of an audience for tastings and find different ways to partner with organizations to both promote whatever their brand is or the work that they need done, uh, the more I've learned about how much you need to put in to run a business, all that goes into it, it's not as simple as I think I thought it was, which is good. I mean, challenges are good. I'm a glass half full, silver lining, rosé colored glasses kind of girl. But I've learned a lot and I've been, I think I was a little naive to just how much work it would be, but I'm thankful for it and I'm proud of it. So I guess that means it's worth it. Yeah. We appreciate hearing the real talk on this podcast. So people hear like, it's not just you pouring a glass of wine and talking about it to, <laughs> to, to your feet. There's, there's so much more behind the world of work. There, there so is thank so you. much more behind it. There's so much more. There's trying to fit in the number of hours you need to handle your inbox. I remember when I first made an email account for my business, like no one emailed me. Like I had no emails and I was like, look at how efficient I am. I mean, I wasn't really doing much, but I was so efficient. Inbox zero, man. Uh, And now I sit here with my inbox as a backdrop and I'm just like watching the number creep up. And it's, it's a great program, a great problem to have. It's a fantastic problem to have. And so I'm very thankful for this set of problems. But, you know, I would be lying if I said that there weren't late nights, there weren't weekends that I was spending with or without a glass of wine working on the business side of a wine tasting business. And it all manifests itself and then being able to do more wine tastings, which is, you know, the bread and butter and what I enjoy so much. But I've learned a lot. There's a lot of folders in my inbox right now. Like a lot of folders. I feel like that's how you know how much you have going on. When you look at all those folders, you're like, wow, I should check those folders. <laughs> I love it. All right, let's jump to the important part, the people. If you could tell us a little bit about an interesting customer experience or now that we're in the virtual, um, interesting virtual wine tasting experience you've had lately. So I actually, so I'll tell you two. The first is I did a wine class, my first virtual wine tasting through Telesom. I had folks in 
Alaska and rural Arizona and Utah, which is one of the hardest states to ship wine to or figure out how to tell people to get wine. I had someone in, I think, Pennsylvania. They were really spread out and they uh, were, some of them were related, some of them were friends. And to bring them all together, they were on all different time zones. It was so wacky, but it was so cool. And it's exactly the kind of thing that I want to happen when I do wine tastings like this is to really bring people together through the world of wine. And even if they don't come in all saying, I want to know as much as possible about wine. I want to have a great time. And I want to learn how to evaluate how much acid or tannin or body is in a wine. Even if they just come together and say, I'm going to have a drink with a friend via Zoom and someone's going to tell me a little bit about it and it'll be entertaining. It's just so much fun. You, I get so much energy from it. And I think, you know, I consider myself an extrovert, but also like an extrovert, like so much emphasis on the extra, the more people, the more conversations, the better. So I just get so energized by that. And we, we, you know, we went like way over the time we were supposed to just because it was, there was so much conversation. There were so many questions. I left being like, those are my people. So I love situations like that. And another one, I recently did a surprise birthday so that was really interesting. I've done those in person. I've done, you know, the the engagement um, immediately after somebody gets engaged. There I am, and we're doing wine. It's my birthday in person, things like that. But I hadn't done it virtually. And uh, the the person whose birthday it was, their daughter reached out and said, we were, "We're going to keep this secret. We're going to do it all electronically. It won't be on her calendar, so mom won't know." And they ended up. They were all sitting around the kitchen island. And they turned on the TV. They had like brought a TV in or had a TV mounted in there. And there I was. They had had the computer set up already. So I was there. And suddenly I pop up and the wine comes up from behind the, beneath the countertops. And we're, we're doing a, a fun kind of surprise virtual event. So that was a really fun one. I thought that was really special. I love it. In-home pop-up events. That's great. <laughs> it's, it's great. I love it. What are some interesting questions that uh, people ask you during a virtual wine tasting? Has there been anything that's been fun that you remember? Oh, they range. Seriously, they range from like very, very entry level. You know, if we're smelling a wine and I'm saying, does anyone get citrus, lemon or lime? Somebody will say something like, are there lemons and limes in this wine? And then we walk it back and we talk a little bit about how wines are made. The answer to that, just so everyone knows, no, with an asterisk at the end, I'm sure there's somebody putting actual citrus in their wine, (laughs) but um, typically just grapes, smushed, fermented grapes. Although I was in Hawaii recently, recently, no, nothing's happened recently. I was in Hawaii a couple of years ago and we went to a winery and they had wines that were infused with pineapple from the Dole plantation. And I was like, yeah, okay. This is something other than grapes in a wine that counts. So I've gotten things as, as simple as, you know, are there other things besides grapes meaning other fruits or vegetables or things kind of influencing the flavor that's come in contact with the juice. And then I've gotten everything to, you know, I talk a lot about wine making and wine growing And so we talk about organics and natural wines and biodynamics. And so I've gotten questions about Rudolf Steiner and how the biodynamic movement came to be and what that's all about. And so uh, sometimes we get really, really nerdy and we talk about the different preparations of biodynamic wine farm, wine harvesting. And sometimes we, you know, go with the basics, but it depends on the audience. So kind of cater our, our mood that way. I like that. What's the most interesting place that you've tasted wine at? So it was either we did the Volcano Winery, 
outside of Volcano National Park. I think that's what it's called, Volcanoes in Hawaii. And that was very much sweet wine and um, infused with pineapple. It was very, very cool. A really cool experience that I would definitely do again. I wouldn't, I think a lot of those wines were were meant to be dessert wines or, or a little bit off dry, which is typically not my style. That's not what I gravitate toward, but it was delicious and I had a lot of fun. Um, but I also had the opportunity to go to my mom's family's original hometown, which is Yanina, Greece. And we went there a couple of years ago on a family trip to try to see, you know, where her family members had grown up. And we were in the town and we tasted some wine there. We And then we went subsequently to Santorini and tried some wines. But I think just being in Greece and being able to kind of be on site with some of that history. And I, I feel like there's so much history in wine was really cool. We don't find as many of those Greek wines in the States. There are some, you can find Assyrticos, you can find um, different varietals that are Greek that are, especially in places like New York or LA, but to be in Greece and to try, you know, a flight of seven different wines I had never heard of or come in contact with was awesome. It was really, really cool. Yeah, there's something about the ambiance from either one of those examples that I think uh, really resonates with me. Pro tip on the sweets, because I come from the Niagara region of ice wine in Canada. I've been told to pair the really sweet wines with like a spicy Thai or something mm-hmm. like that. I was like, oh, yeah. that's not a bad idea. Up my spice level with the sweet. So Yeah, I typically do an off-dry Riesling with Thai food. That's mm-hmm. my go-to. Yeah, these were a little, a little more, I think, dessert-oriented. Okay. I'm not a big... Some people really enjoy pairing a sweet wine with a sweet dessert. I don't have as high of a sugar tolerance, so I'm generally not there, but they were still delicious. Yeah, they're still really fun. What sound, since this is a podcast, do you associate with the world of wine? The pouring of a glass of wine, the like gloop, 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 it's one of my faves. Um, The pop of a cork, the, I think if you listen really closely when you pour a sparkling wine as the mousse settles, And you get uh, just like the popping of very effervescence. Uh, That's really, really cool. Um, I get a lot of like clinking glasses and laughter. That's where I live. That's my space. That's where I like to live. And that's where I like to be. So um, yeah, anytime that I have wine, I look for friends to share it with. And so that means glasses that are actually made of glass or really any vessel. It could be a solo cup. Mm-hmm. your hands pinch. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I just imagine that like that clink and the, the laughs that kind of come along with it. Love it. If you had only one geographic wine region to choose from, what would that be? Ooh, Ooh that's tough. I love Pamonte in Italy, um, also known as Piedmont to us in the States, but I like to say the name of the region, the way the locals say it's a Pamonte. Uh, I love the big, bold reds that are made from Nebbiolo. I love Barolo. I love Barbaresco. Uh, but I also love Barberas and Dolcettos. And I really love Ostis. I've been getting super into Ostis, Moscato's to Ost- Moscato to Ostis, which, you know, any level of bubbles is always fun. I think it's because it's summertime. And I do think one of the most delicious rosés I've ever had was from Piedmont. It was a rosé of Nebbiolo. And so I mean, there's quite the gauntlet there. There's a a wide range of delicious wines there. But if it had to be somewhere in the States, I'd probably say Oregon, the Willamette Valley. Mm -hmm. I'm a Pinot Noir person. And I think there, I really think there's nowhere that I believe it is made better for my personal palate. That's not to say I'm saying that the Pinot Noirs in Oregon are the best in the world every single time and that every Pinot Noir from Oregon is going to be a 10 out of 10, but I've found some of my absolute favorite wines there. Full stop, period. 
best ever. And I think it just, it gets me. There's something spiritual about me and Oregon Pinos. It's the Willamette, damn it. Uh, yeah, yeah the damn I, it, Willamette. Yeah, and the palette is really important. So I do want to call that out. Like everyone's palette is going to be different. So that's really great that you've said that as well. Yeah, my philosophy, like the foundation philosophy of Viva Lavino, which is the company that I started, is wine is only good if you like it. So mm-hmm. my job is really only to help you find out what you like. I'm not going to tell you what wines are good or bad. I can give you, you know, descriptors of what a professional would assess a wine as and why, why balance is important, why alcohol versus body versus acid versus tan, like all of those things. Sure. There are technical ways of determining whether a wine is good, Mm -hmm. but if you don't like a wine that I consider to be a great wine, then who cares? Don't drink it. And if you want to shop on the bottom shelf of CVS and that is your sweet spot, do it. There are a lot of wonderful people for whom that is where they live, that bottom shelf of CVS. And that is okay. That is more than okay. Good for you for knowing what you like. The experimentation of wine also comes into kind of you as a psalm. And uh, before we hit record, you shared a little bit about new things you're trying and spaces you don't really know about. And if you want to share a little bit about that with our listeners, that'd be great. So I've had this business for several years, but I was never really active on social media. That's new to me. Uh, I often don't know what I'm doing because I'm not a huge social media person myself. Personally, I do have accounts, but I'm not cool on them by any means, right? Like I use them more so to connect with like my uncles and be like, what are you doing? Okay, great. Uh, it's a good way to keep in touch with people. But I, I started using Instagram this year. Uh, at the encouragement of a friend who said, who is a social media user, knows a lot about it and said, you know, you are going to potentially attract more business this way. And so it's worth a try. If you hate it, stop doing it. And because she said it in the way that's, you know, very similar to how I preach about wine, if you can call it that, if it's, if you don't like it, don't drink it. If you don't like it, don't post. But she, she was right. I think it's been really fun. I've met some really lovely people through it. I actually last weekend met up with some friends now uh, that I'm here in Seattle for a few weeks who I speak to seemingly daily, but you know have never met in real life because they're strangers on the Instagram internet. And I met them at a wine bar and we had some wine. And it was just such a lovely realization that you know even though it's online, it's real. And there are people who are who are interested in what I have to say. And there are people who learn from what I have to say. And there are people who find me that way and then say, hey, I'd love to do a virtual tasting. And so, you know, it does have a benefit for the business. And I'll tell you a really quick story. So we, so my partner and I have been remote from work since COVID started. So about almost a year and a half, year and a couple of months ago, and since March of 2020. And we gave up our apartment in the New York area and kind of hit the road, put our stuff in storage, don't have an apartment right now, got in the car, drove west. So right now we're in Seattle and we, along the way, stopped in a bunch of different cities and places and had some adventures. And we've comically schlepped a lot of wine with us along the way. But we stopped for a couple of weeks in Walla Walla, Washington, which is a wine region near and dear to my heart because any wine I've tried from there, these big, bold cabs and Syrahs I've loved. But I never knew when I would get there. It's, you know, Eastern Washington is tough to get to, especially from the New York area. And I didn't know that I would ever necessarily, you know, take a week off of work, go to Walla Walla, turn around, come back. And so we got the opportunity to stay for two weeks and we visited a bunch of wineries. We had so much fun. One of the wineries I like the most is a winery called Lorellin. And uh, we 
gosh, it was just so good. They've had like this crazy story about how wine, happiness, sadness, complication, easiness, like ease of operation. Anywho, you get there, you taste their wines and their current release is a, a flight of cabs or Syrahs from 06 to 08. So we tried through both of those flights. The wines were incredible and they were delicious. And I, I posted about it because on Instagram, because I was so floored by how delicious the wines were. And I recently reached back out to them because, you know, we want to get some more wine. And so I reached out about ordering some and the, the owner, Kendall Mix, and he mentioned that somebody had seen my post, someone I didn't know actually, and had mentioned to him, Hey, you know, we saw Brielle of Viva Lavino NYC. She posted on Instagram. We saw her post and we were just super drawn to your wines because of it. And he said, thank you. Thanks for posting about it. People, we had a couple just stop by and they said they, they saw it and that was the reason they came in. And I just thought that was so cool that there is, you know, my audience is not huge and I don't need it to be, but there are people who are benefiting from what I'm sharing. And so in addition to helping to continue to expand my business and the actual core of teaching wine classes and partnering up with organizations on consultations and stuff. I also get to recommend cool wines that I'm trying and help small producers like Laurelin elevate their own business. So worth it, worth it. Checkbox on that. Totally. I love that you're getting social with your media now. That's fantastic. I think it is about building community and sharing your knowledge is what it really sounds like. And I, I really think that's cool. And that's what I've learned from talking to a lot of the sommeliers they're connected with Telesom and you all have been doing this work in general is you're, you might have a business, but really you care about what you're sharing and you want others to go and check it out. And I think that's really neat. So I'm glad you experimented with social media and put yourself out there. Yeah. And I also, the fun part is I've, I've been able to be a little, a little more crazy with things. And I've, I've found some really cool connection points with folks. So every Wednesday, for example, I host a a live in, an Instagram live. I mean, like, listen to me, try to figure out terminology here. But I, <laughs> every Wednesday, I host an Instagram live that I call Canned Wine Wednesday. And so we try a new canned wine, or at least new to me canned wine. So I haven't tried it before the episode. I pop the top while we're on live. And we just kind of talk about it. I mean, I think canned wine has been one of those things where you kind of see it in the story. Maybe you scoff at it. Uh, and if you don't scoff at it, it's because you drink them and you already know them. But there's a huge population of people who are like, oh, gosh, canned wine. I'm not touching that. And um, I think that's a huge miss. Uh, yeah. They're super easy to bring along. Uh, packaging is super sustainable. There's mm-hmm. a lot of delicious brands that honestly just put the same wine that they put in a bottle in a can because it's the equivalent of a split. It's 375 milliliters for a standard can, which is two glasses. That's super easy to bring to the beach and share with a friend. So uh, I am a canned wine convert. I'm trying to bring <laughs> that to the world. So I yeah, love it. Tune in on Wednesday. <laughs> I love it. We did a mini episode about canned wine to say, hey, don't knock it because canned wine is great if you're a hiker, a biker, an outdoor nature person. Yep, it's, that's it's, me. And I'm from the juice box crew of back in the day before they were popular. Um, Niagara and the Canada started having more like um, environmentally friendly like boxes, which I call the big juice box that you take out because you could recycle it and you can definitely carry. It's lighter. Yeah, I think it's great. So good. I've had the opportunity to try a lot of cool wines now. Like, I don't know that I would ever have gone to the store and picked up one of every canned wine, but I've, uh, I've enlisted a guest host every week. So everybody, every time, every week, somebody new joins me from this wine community online. And 
we sip a, a can of wine together and talk about life and wine and what we're drinking. At some point, I hope you have a, I, I'm into the vent calendars, like gin vent. Maybe you'll have a canned wine vent calendar that I would sign up for. Just planting oh, the yeah. seed for you. I mean, yeah. I have a, I have a, you can sign up to be a guest host if you want. You want to join yeah, me? Maybe I do. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Okay. We'll work 100%. it out. percent. Good. All you have to do is get a can of wine and drink it. That's it. It's a whole, that's, that's a whole thing. It's a that whole sounds simple. We are going to put yeah. links to all the good things where people can find you. Um, and I do think oh. this is really helpful because I think it unpacks, I think the snobbiness that people think about when we have wine and sommeliers when really it's so much more than that. Okay. Before we wrap up, I have just one last question for you. What's the best lesson you learned from your time being a sommelier that you apply to mm -hmm. your own life in general? I really think it's open-mindedness. I, I, I pride myself on having been an open-minded person in general. My parents are very open-minded. I think like we were raised in a household where we were given the authority and encouragement to question things and ask why and make our own decisions as a result. But I think, you know, when you when it's you and you're applying it, it I, I'll use myself as a, as a test case. For a long time, I was like, I don't like Chardonnay. I think it's bad. Um, and great. I mean, like fair, right? Fair. If you haven't tried that many Chardonnays, if you're a college kid who doesn't have a budget for trying, you know, the Chablis of the world and understanding what, um, a, a non movie theater, butter, popcorn Chardonnay tastes like, then yeah, you might not like it. Uh, and as I re I learned recently, I, I really went down an internet rabbit hole about this. Your palate changes every couple of years. And so first I think I wasn't drinking the right Chardonnays for me. But also my palate has definitely undergone a change because I used to be very much high acid white wines, lighter body, savvy, Sauvignon Blanc, Savvy B, my, my heart and soul used to be like my absolute go-to. And now I find that I'm reaching for Chardonnays. I'm reaching for Viognier's. I'm reaching for skin contact whites or orange whites. I'm reaching for piquettes. Um, anything that has a little bit more funk to it. I went to the Jura via wine the other day, got that floor element in there. It's a little nerdy, but you can cut <laughs> that out. Um, but I really, I think, I think your palate changes over time. And I think what I've had to learn and consistently kind of confront myself is like, you don't know what you don't know, right? You got to keep doing the research. Fortunately, when it comes to wine, that just means trying more wines and drinking a bunch. But you have to do the research. You have to figure out everybody has a different perspective, especially here. Like we're talking physiologically, everyone has a different palate. And so there is no right or wrong. If bottom shelf of CVS speaks to you, then you are correct. If you do not smell lemon in a wine, you are correct. Uh, just it's all about having fun. There's there's certainly a lot to learn. You can become a wine expert. You can be able to blind taste and say the, the vintage and the grape and the area of the world and the vineyard. And that is wonderful and cool. And I candidly will never get there. And that's okay. I, I want people who walk into a wine store and feel really intimidated to not. I want to give them skills and methods to walk into a wine shop and know exactly what to ask for so they can get the help they need and they can walk away with a wine that they know they're going to like or a wine that they know is close to a wine they've liked before and they're excited to try. Brielle, thank you so much for taking some time to talk wine story, your story and your sommelier life. We appreciate it here. Uh, this has been so much fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been so cool. Thanks for listening to an Invino Fab and Telesong production, The Somalia Stories, Uncorking Wine Tales. If you liked this episode, tell a friend to subscribe and leave us a rating review in Apple Podcasts. Telesong brings the psalm to you. 
Check us out online at telesom.app or on Instagram at telesom.app. We can't wait to meet you.